Revelation 17 opens with shocking imagery. A drunk prostitute rides on a seven-headed and ten-horned beast, holding a cup of wine. But the greatest shock is the prostitute's identity. She is Jerusalem, drunk with the wine of martyr blood. Her adultery is spiritual. She has forsaken her true husband Christ for the dragon and his beast, the Roman Empire. And God will judge her for her unfaithfulness, but there's still a hint of redemption that is possible. The gospel is the story about Christ the bridegroom turning his whorish wife into a spotless bride. And when the beast turns on the prostitute, she finds her spurned husband waiting with garments of redemption ready to restore. This is Understanding Revelation. Revelation 17 begins John's third vision, which takes place in the wilderness, which hints that the prostitute depicted is Jerusalem. At the end of chapter 16, God pours out his seventh and final bowl of wrath, which features hailstones upon Jerusalem, the prostitute's city. This chapter takes a closer look at the prostitute's judgment by looking at it in three parts. First, John describes Jerusalem as a prostitute riding the scarlet beast of Rome, verses 1 to 6. Second, the prostitute Jerusalem and the beast of Rome make war on the Lamb, verses 7 to 14. And third, the beast of Rome betrays the prostitute in the destruction of Jerusalem's temple, verses 15 to 18. Let's look at that first section. Jerusalem, the prostitute, rides the scarlet beast of Rome, verses 1 through 6. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations, and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Jerusalem the prostitute has committed adultery with the kings of the earth. In the Old Testament, adultery means unfaithfulness to God and assumes a prior covenant relationship. God marries Israel in Ezekiel 16 and clothes her with fine linen and riches and provision. But she uses those treasures that God gives her to seduce Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon as lovers. Revelation 17 plays off of this idea. Jerusalem wears purple, scarlet, and precious jewels. And she uses those things to seduce Rome as her ally, to crucify Christ and persecute his followers. Her garments are a mockery of the priesthood. Priests wore purple and scarlet with precious jewels, which represented Israel on their breastplates. Exodus 28 verses 5 and 11. But in Jesus' day, the priesthood conspired with Roman leaders like Pilate to crucify the Son of God and his followers, which seduces the rest of Israel to cry out, let his blood be on us and on our children, Matthew 27, verse 25. The dwellers on the earth or dwellers on the land refer to the people of Israel who are now drunk on the blood of Christ and his martyrs. This is the golden cup of abominations and impurities that the prostitute carries. The most shocking thing is the name written on her forehead. In the Old Testament, priests wore turbans with a gold engraving on their foreheads that read, Holy to the Lord, Exodus 28, 36. But the corrupt priesthood no longer carries God's name. Instead, her forehead reads, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. This is the great mystery. Israel has become Babylon by her unfaithfulness. 
Babylon was Israel's pagan enemy who carried her into exile. But now Israel has become her own worst enemy and the blood of the saints will pour out on her head in judgment. This leads us to the second part. The scarlet beast of Rome makes war on the lamb with the prostitute, verses seven to 14. This explains why John marvels greatly at the prostitute. It's because he recognizes her. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and 10 horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So Israel's alliance with Rome has corrupted her. The beast's seven heads and 10 horns match the sea beast of Rome introduced in chapter 13. So it's probably talking about the same thing. The beast, Rome, is described as one who was, is not, and is about to rise, but his end is destruction. There's a resurrection parody here, but it ends in death. John also tells us the seven heads refer to seven mountains, which is often referred to Rome. Rome was built on seven mountains. And there's also seven kings. Five have fallen, one who is, and one who will come up for a little while. William Clock, in his commentary on Romans, identifies, or rather, his commentary on Revelation, identifies these kings as the Roman emperors Julius, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, who are the five who have fallen. And the one who is, is Nero, who persecutes the church for a brief four years, 64 to 68 AD, before his suicide. And the one to come for a little while is Galba, whose reign was cut short when he was murdered by Otto, who ruled in his place. The seven kings could also symbolize the fullness of beastly political power against the true king Christ. Seven is the number of fullness. Not 100% sure. These are plausible explanations. We also see an eighth king, the beast that was and is not, who belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. This may parallel verse eight. It says the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Peter Lidar suggests that the beast Rome seems to die with Nero's death, but then rises again to continue persecuting the church until its eventual fall. Um, but political beast-like powers continue to conspire with Satan against his church and the ultimate defeat of the beast into the bottomless pit awaits Christ's return at the end of time. Maybe. <laughs> the 10 horns symbolize 10 kings who receive royal power and they hand over that power to the beast to make war with the lamb, but they will be conquered. Some commentators suggest that the 10 horns are the 10 provinces of Rome, and the beast, now scarlet red with satanic influence, are going to unite its 10 provinces in one mind against the church. The dragon always uses beastly political authority and the false words of corrupt priesthoods to attack the people of God. It's true in the first century. It's true now in the 21st century. But the lamb will conquer for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And we, the called, chosen, and faithful, will conquer with him. So I think the big idea here is that I don't know the exact historical parallels, but perhaps... God is inflaming Rome with satanic fury. He's gathering the 10 provinces and he's going to attack Israel and he's going to also attack the church. Again, the details are fuzzy. 
I am not 100% sure how to interpret this. Let's look at this third section. The beast betrays the prostitute by destroying the temple in 70 AD, verses 15 to 18. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purposes by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So again, Jerusalem's affair, Jerusalem is the prostitute, her affair with Rome allows her to sit over waters of peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Rome's vast geographic and political power will turn upon the prostitute, though. So she's kind of sitting with Rome over all the multi-people groups within Rome, but that's going to bite her in the butt. It's going to turn against her. Uh, the ten horns uh, kings will make her desolate and naked. There's a betrayal. So Rome is allying with the corrupt priesthood, but then Rome is going to betray the corrupt priesthood by destroying the temple. They devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. Again, the system that Jerusalem trusts will turn on her, talking about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The cataclysmic nature of the temple's destruction can't be understated. You've got to think about it. Millions of Jews lived outside of Jerusalem. In fact, most Jews lived outside of Jerusalem at that time. It would be like them hearing about the destruction of Mecca if they were Muslims or the destruction of Vatican for Catholics. The whole Jewish world is looking at Jerusalem and the temple as the center of their life and their identity. For that to be destroyed is a traumatic, terrifying experience. But that's exactly the effect it's meant to have. Um, Ezekiel 16, again, is in the background here. God tells Israel, his faithless bride, that she's going to be stripped naked before her lovers and her house is going to be burnt up. And here in Revelation 17, we see that in real time. And all of this is going to be fulfilling the words of God. God is not mocked. Jerusalem, by turning to uh, allying with Rome and by rejecting Christ, has become the great harlot, the great city of Babylon. She's become a lover of the nations rather than a lover of God. But the prostitute is not without hope. Remember, Revelation is about revealing Christ and revealing the grace of God in Christ. Warren Gage argues very persuasively that the entirety of Revelation actually follows the structure of the book of Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew pronunciation of Jesus. It's the Hebrew, uh, Jesus' name is actually Joshua, Yeshua. Joshua assembled an army. He sent in two witnesses and he followed a series of sevens. Uh, he marches once a day for seven days, then seven times on the seventh day, and then blows seven trumpets, which brings down the walls of Jericho, a pagan city, down to its knees. In Revelation, it opens up with the new Joshua, Jesus, summoning the seven churches, his holy army. He sends in two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, and he brings seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, which bring down the walls of Babylon, the harlot city, Jerusalem. So all of that's in the background. But Babylon itself contains a prostitute. And we see here in Jericho, Jericho itself has a prostitute as well. Out of the city of Jericho comes a faithful prostitute, Rahab, whose scarlet cord spares her from judgment. And we're going to see out of Babylon will come a redeemed prostitute in scarlet. In the next chapter, we hear God call out to his faithful ones in Babylon for one more exodus. Come out of her, my people. Chapter 18, verse 4. So we see this. Joshua goes up after seven trumpets and he decries and, and calls down for judgment on this city. But there's still salvation. Out of the whorish city comes a whore who's redeemed. And out of the whorish city of Jerusalem will come people who are redeemed from their whoredom by the blood of the lamb. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. But Joshua's story is the background here. We also see seven days fulfilling creation. 
but an eighth day begins new creation. Uh, the beast is called an eighth king. Eight is the beginning of new creation, but because it's a beast, it's probably a false new creation. Something might be happening there, not entirely sure. But what we see here is that Christ is the true eighth king who redeems the prostitute by his own blood. On the cross, Christ was given a scarlet robe, Matthew 27, 28. He bears the shame of the prostitute that she might become his bride. And Warren Gage notes one more thing. Revelation and the Gospel of John are written by the same author. In many ways, Revelation is the sequel to the Gospel of John. And there's a parallel. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman by a well, a Sumerian woman, who has had five husbands and a current one who is not her husband. She's a sexually immoral woman. She's a prostitute. And at the well, she meets her final husband, Christ the Redeemer. And this parallels the five kings that have fallen, one who is and one who will come with the harlot city. And I think we're meant to see in the prostitute woman at the well, the prostitute city, that there's still redemption there for her, that her hope is to marry herself to the true prince, to the true king, to the true bridegroom that can redeem her and take away her shame. The story of Revelation is about the son turning a whore into his bride, who takes our uncleanliness and makes us clean, who takes out of the ashes of the old Jerusalem a new Jerusalem that's spotless and glorious. Revelation is not a weird book meant to scare us. It's not some weird blueprint for the future. It's a book of hope, of redemption. It's a book of the gospel. It's the gospel according to Revelation. The spotless lamb, the faithful groom who cleanses his bride and brings her home, who washes her with, her with his word and makes her holy, spotless, and blameless. And this is our story. We're to see in the harlot in Revelation 17, our own lives, that Christ has cleansed us. Despite our hard-heartedness, despite our sin and idolatry, he has washed us clean, given us white robes, and made us his glorious bride. And we're going to see that continue on in the next chapter.